You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. What's up, Colorado? So on this show, we talk a lot about house hacking. What we do not talk a lot about is house hacking with your adult children. So I know we have a lot of investors who are in a phase in their life where they've got kids in their 20s, they have capital, they have a high net worth, and actually helping your kids get into house hacking can be a true win-win. So I got two great experts in the studio with me today to actually break it down. The first is Steve Medina, who has done this with his children. He's got some great stories some great tips. What's up, Steve? Hey, uh, happy to be here and uh, ready to go. Oh, I know. It's going to be a great podcast. And we got Troy Howe with Nova Home Loans. Come talk to us about lending because it does get a little complex with putting different people uh, on the loan. Yep. Good morning, Troy. Good morning. Thanks All right. So house hacking with children. Uh, Steve, let's give a background because I think you have done... One or one, one. One. Okay. So you've done one. One. And it's kind of like when you have kids, sometimes after the first one, you're not sure you're going to have more, but I think uh, we've figured out how to do it. And so that's why we have three kids. And so we'll have more house hacks with them. Good. So I I need some perspective here. You're you're helping your kids buy houses. I'm still paying for preschool right now. (laughs) So I have a different type of mortgage payment, (laughs) (laughs) which I think, you know, we got, we got listeners all across the board on here. Uh, But, you know, from a high level, why have uh, why would you house hack with your adult children? Well, um, you know, the, the thing for me is I found uh, kind of this process where the low down payment um, and kind of uh, easy entry into, and we bought new builds, um, give us the greatest return on equity. So we could get low down. I wasn't as worried about the cash flow, which that's been something that everybody seems to get around on first does. But once you can only get those once per year. So my wife and I did a couple of those and I thought, well, gosh, I have children that are over 18 that are, have good fundamentals. They're pretty good, you know, young adults. I, it's, you know, you kind of stop calling them kids at some point or they want you to stop doing that. But um, why couldn't I do more with them? So we actually got a little ambitious and we did one nomad and we did one house hack with the, our son all at the same time. So we bought two houses so we could actually accelerate our ability to buy houses and have larger, um, I guess, loans to value and and make the return on equity even more powerful for us. So that's where we're kind of seeing things for us. And I go, especially as the market's changed, we have to figure out what the market's given us. And that's one of the few places that is still got an opportunity and and with our kids because they're going to have to have rent. They're young college graduates out there in the world. They're going to pay money someplace. Let's have it go to work for them and for us. So Troy, you specialize and you've been lending for I think almost 30 years now and you do a lot of loans for investors and house hackers. I mean, mm-hmm. you've done a lot of house hacking loans for our Envision clients. Um, from a high level, like how common have you, how common is it for parents to help their kids house hack? Um, I would say a fair amount. I've, I've had a fair amount of folks over the years do that. And it's you like what you're talking about, it? Steve. Like, is, is, is it changed? Cause it feels like I saw that Redfin, the article the other day and saying like people under 30 are getting some sort of help with their family. Now that, that doesn't mean they're necessarily yeah. house hacking, but are you seeing a different change in that now? 
Yeah, I mean, with rates being elevated, having the cosigner come in, sometimes it's just the young adults like, hey, they want to buy their first house and they can't quite qualify on their own. So bringing the parents in to help them qualify yeah. is a lot of what you see as a, as a cosigner on the loan. So it kind of raises their qualifying ability and their purchase price point right. uh, comes up nicely as long as they're, they're good cosigners. What I always tell people is uh, a good cosigner is somebody with low debt load. You know, you don't okay. want somebody co-signing with you that's maxed out. They also need to have- Is that the parent or the child? Uh, either. <laughs> <laughs> well, we broke one of those rules, but the, right. the kid was okay. Right, right. So it's just bringing in a good co-signer and then your purchasing power goes up significantly. So if, if the parents are coming in to co-sign and they have a heavy load of debt, uh, they may not work out the greatest or they have uh, uh, credit scores that are a little soft or a little beat up. That's yeah. not always the best, but- uh, it can it can work out awesome uh, for everybody involved to to get to that next level to get into that property and start building some equity. Now, there's a couple different ways. Again, I've not done this, but I could see um, you know the parents just gifting the down payment to the mm -hmm. child, and the child goes out there and gets a loan. Or you guys have mentioned co-signing, which is hey, that means the parent is co-signing the loan, mm -hmm. and I presume has to be on title as well. Not always. Uh, not Do always. They have to be. Okay. They can just be on the loan. Okay. So let's talk about through those, those, because I know Steve, you went through this. Yeah. Let me, you're, you're, maybe uh, I'll explain mine. Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then we'll see where there's deviations that you, you could potentially, because we chose one way. Um, it doesn't mean it's the only way. So, sure. Um, yeah. Walk us through that and also like your, your thought process, because you're, you're very good at like you, you research all angers, then you play devil's advocate and say, hey, here's, here's the best option. Here's why. Yeah. So I, I, I got into real estate because I felt like it was a way to diversify, you know, our investments that leverage um, was a magnificent thing if done correctly and that um, it could set up, um, I guess, income or wealth building without me having to be actively, which I know it's not truly passive, but as minimally uh, active as possible. So I started looking at that and I go, you know what, if it makes sense for me, I don't know what is all going on in the market and it's really gotten kind of crazy over the last few years or a couple of years, but how do I prepare my children? Because, you know, there's a standard way they're doing things. And if I just let them roll off into college and kind of do the traditional thing, that's what I did. And I realized later on, um, much later on that there were other ways. Why don't I start working on them now to say, you know what, get your main job, get a good income, but then here's some things that augment. And that way, when these things um, come back to you, you could be at 50 and going, holy mackerel, I did stuff way before my dad or way before my parents. Um, so that's what I, I went in with and said, okay, well, my kids are, at the time they were 21, you know, uh, 20 and 18. And I started buying rentals and doing that. And then I realized, well, gosh, why wouldn't I do something with them? But what I tried to think about is, how do I train them in this? How do I treat it like a business? And that's where it became different. I could have gifted them because you could probably uh, walk us through the gifting, but I think you can give you know a husband and wife and you can get in, uh, in-laws and grandparents and stuff. It's like $15,000. Well, you can get up to thirty to $60,000 fairly fast if everybody's kicking in. That, that doesn't necessarily train the young person. It, it gives them a leg up and that's great, but I wanted to create a business out of it. And so we talked to my son who was 23 at the time. And we just said, Hey, why don't you move home? He was renting an apartment. It was in the summer, 
move home for about seven, eight months. We'll buy a house. We'll create a partnership. And that's exactly what we did. What was his initial reaction to this? Because I'm assuming he's probably seen you invest over the years. So he kind of knows what's going on or. I, you know what? I, I Honestly, I think they don't always see exactly what's going on because even think about some of your friends what they've got going on you kind of have an idea of what they're doing but you don't have firsthand knowledge of it so they go oh yeah dad's doing this or dad's doing that so you hear things and when you're 18 to 21 or 23 sometimes you know you're into your friends you know uh, responsibility you're still getting used to having it right you just went through college and so that's where your first big responsible. You had to wake your own self up. You had to get your own grades. And if you got bad grades, it's on you. It wasn't like mom and dad didn't tell me in middle grade to get my book. So, so it's, it's a, I I believe it's a good natural step in a progression of responsibility, but I also don't want my kids to be all stressed out at 22 going, Oh my God, I've got this business and I've got to do this. I want them to be able to have some fun along the way. So I try to make it fun um, and, and, and imbue, you know, articles and things like that to them. I'd send them emails or I'd send them texts on stuff. And I knew a lot of times it was just, yeah, it's dad. Yeah, it's dad. Because what happens as a parent is you spend 20 years trying to help guide them. And at some point they go, oh, it's dad preaching again, or it's dad, you know, this. So I felt like if we set up a business and said, son, you know, we're going to buy a half million dollar business. And we're going to leverage it like this and being a marketing and, and finance kid from CSU, you know, or young guy, he goes, okay, I get that. And so I think it starts. And then we did a few more things because it was father and son conversations. And where it wasn't working is when I'd say, Hey, you got to get this, or you got to get this. I'm thinking more as a, I guess a field general and kind of making sure stuff gets done. And he's like, it's like dad telling me to take out the trash or I got to mow the lawn yeah, or I got to go right. get this done. So I, one morning, um, you know, I decided, um, why don't I put it in a way that works better for him? So I, I wrote up an agenda. I, I jokingly got ties out for us. We're just wearing t-shirts in the morning talking. And I said, okay, every Saturday morning, we're going to have a discussion about where we're at with the lender, where we're at with buying the property, where your credit's at, where some of these things are at. It doesn't mean we're going to spend all week talking about it, but we'll pick a very fine-tuned spot to have those conversations and then you can be done with it. It's not like, well, you know, we're going to talk Thursday night at seven o'clock or this. So once we started doing that, it made it a lot easier for him because said it's like the business you're in. Just one more meeting. We go through some stuff and we get through this. So did you see a uh, this mental shift with your son when you kind of did that? Because, you know, I've gone through different phases. I was not with my adult children, but just when you've, you know, changed, uh, like say, hey, dress up or you change the setting or you formalize things, a lot of times helps kind of like have a mental shift to be in a better like game mindset. Uh, did that help like your son get focused more or does help you and him communicate better and treat it more like a half million dollar business? Yeah, I didn't see any one big change, but it was kind of a gradual change. Um, one of the things that we did early on was I've been very, um, I guess, uh, uh, I've been very protective about our credit. And, and, and that's something that I make sure that, you know, we have no debt, you know, the, the Dave Ramsey stuff outside of his view on debt, um, good debt versus bad debt is what I kind of was helping them get through. It was like, you know, you got to protect your credit score. Um, you got to, we got them an Experian app, things like that. So they were getting small pieces and, and the other two children are watching their older brother 
and they're learning along the way. And then they're starting mm. to ask questions because they go, okay, well, when's my turn? You know, because you do things when they're in high school, they go, okay, when's my turn? So, we so they're kind of following those. along and teed up as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but all of them have great credit scores. Um, you know, they need to get a job, need to have a history. I mean, Troy can, you know, uh, tell you some of the things, you know, maybe that's where, you know, giving uh, people a few ideas about how to make sure their kids' credit scores are, you know, more than just making sure they don't have debt, but what kind of things should they be doing? Yeah, well, you definitely got to get into the credit score game. That's probably the biggest one because a, a parent coming to you with, hey, my son, we want to buy a house together with him or have him be the primary owner of the property and they don't have a credit score, that can be a challenge. There are programs you can do without a credit score, but if you're going to do max financing, 5% down, minimum down, uh, having a credit score is a huge, huge thing to have. So starting early, like my son, my youngest, we got a, him and I went in on a credit card together so he could start developing a credit score and then he can work towards getting his own credit card uh, sooner and than why, later. Why would you go in on a credit card with your child? Because he, he just was 18. And they wouldn't let him get his own credit card. And he didn't have a job, right? He he was doing some work, but uh, they wouldn't just give him straight up on his own, his own credit card. They'll give but, you a student loan. Yeah, you get $200,000 student uh, yeah, loan, but, but they won't get give a $400 you a, credit limit. A credit card. Because uh, this own. allows them to essentially piggyback off of your credit score, right? Correct. Yep. And then he starts building his own credit score. So we, we do that a lot with clients that don't even have credit to get them in a position to obtain financing, go out and get a secured credit card, even for 300 bucks. And you give the bank $300 that they hold as security on the credit card. And then you just lightly use that credit card and you build a credit score. That was my six first or, credit card. Six or seven months, you'll have a credit score. And if you do it right, you'll have a 720 plus credit score, which, which puts you right in the, in the thick of it. So... I'm surprised uh, yeah. how many people don't have a credit score. I've, I've run yeah. into people 30 years old that, that don't have you, a credit you've, score. You've, oh got, you've got to play the credit score game because you it wins on so many different levels. It's not just for home financing, but when you go to get a cell phone, they soft check your credit. When you go to get insurance, they check your credit. I mean, oh, so yeah. many different yeah. levels of, of credit are uh, is looked at for different things. And so having a, a, a PUI credit score... Uh, yeah really hurts you in so many different ways so you just got to get in there and play the game and play it well but understanding the game is is a big component so you educating your your kids so on that which is the same thing i did on what it what it takes i want to make sure i got these tips right so one tip is do uh start a new credit card as a joint credit card with your kids can, if they can't or, get a secured or add them to yours right. add them to that's is, what i did you can do an authorized user yeah will start showing up on their credit report. You want to make one sure- One or the other, like if, hey, if, you know, you two are my kids, I make you Troy an authorized user, and then Steve and I go get a new credit card. Does that, does it really make a difference one way or the other? Yeah, the joint credit card, I would say, is a little bit better than authorized user, but okay. at, at the end of the day, you're going to generate a credit score. If there's any way they can get one completely on their own, that's probably the best. That's idealistic. Well, a lot of times credit cards, show, I mean, like, really no one gets rejected for those as long as you're like, yeah, you could be it. Put a, your deposit or you put your 200 yeah. or 500 deposit in, right? It depends on the institution, but generally speaking, that should be the case. Okay. I mean, people will have a, a significant credit event and they can go out and get a secured credit card usually immediately after. I, you know, bankruptcy and then next day go out and get a secured credit card, start building your credit back up. Wow. Well, and what we did is we had our bank card 
And we had each one of them because they were all in college at that point. And so at times it was good because it's, hey, I need books or I need something. And so they could just buy it there versus having to figure that out. Something, I need beer. Yeah, there was was a few (laughs) accidental uh, Uber or this... that you saw on there. you're that keeping you go, an eye on the yeah, the charges and saw a few things come through that you what, what, what's kegs are us you're going over <laughs> yeah, right. that's exactly, um, that's exactly the corner liquor store yeah. the, oh a tank things. of gas that i didn't recognize um yeah. but the, so the, we after that we had them um get their own credit card so when they could so as they, soon they as had they had that and then yep. they had some jobs while they were in college and then they you know one got a discover card another one got a master card you know different ones and so I don't know if there's any ones that are better than others. I mean, is it better I, than I, credit card? I really don't. Yeah, as long as it's one of the major carriers, Visa, MasterCard. Yeah. Shy away from American Express. Why is that? Uh, just, I, just just how they kind of come through. Sometimes they are a little more difficult. Okay. I just think that You need Visa, to work with or on a credit score? Just to work with for them. Uh, American Express is kind of funny how they report some of their information. I have borrowers, experienced, seasoned, older borrowers. And they'll show balance paid. And they, they may have like a $15,000 American Express balance. And it'll show up as having to pay the full balance. And so it kind of screws things up when we do our ratio calculation. Right. And there's even some cases where it's like, yeah, can you have that paid off for us? So right. we don't, or we have to show that they have money available to pay it off if they mm-hmm. weren't going to pay it off in addition to the funds needed. Hmm. So it's, it's just a little bit of a different beast. I wouldn't freak out about it too much, but... For the kids, I would stick with a Visa and MasterCard. And, the, and I added in um, making sure I just I try to gently push things. And sometimes you have to shove things. Sometimes you can push it. Sometimes mm-hmm. you can lay it out there and they might pick it up. But the um, there's one of the I think it's Experian, the credit boost app. And I said, mm-hmm. get that and just look at what your stuff is. So then they started telling mm-hmm. me, here's what here's what our bank tells us our our you know, our credit score is, here's what this tells me. So yep. it starts to get into their mindset. And and there are things where I didn't realize, um, and maybe you could speak a little bit about it, but when we were doing um, these to get, apply for the loan, so we were actually getting two loans at once because mm-hmm. um, we were buying the house next door. And when we went to apply with the three of us, my wife and I and my son, um, our son on it, they use his credit score for the loan. And so ours were actually higher, but they use his. And that's what's also for the PMI. Mm-hmm. Is that fairly standard or all lenders do it's, it that way? Yeah, it's pretty much when any anytime you have multiple borrowers, it's always the middle score of the lowest score of the borrower group. Okay. So, so they're going to use, sorry, the the middle score out of the three credit reports for each individual of the lowest right. borrower. Okay. So like the three of us went in and bought a second home up in the mountains together. Uh, they... We each get three credit scores, and our middle score is what's used. Okay. And whoever has the lowest credit score of the three of us is what, just to your point, everything's based off of. The pricing for the loan, the mortgage insurance for the loan. So, so it really is the weakest link in the train. The we- yeah. Precisely. Okay. Well said. So is there a way, like, and I might be jumping ahead of you here, Steve, but like, does the the child always have to be on the loan or there are the ways like sometimes it's parents, sometimes it's parent and kids, sometimes it's just kid, like how different ways people structure it or, you know, for lack of better words, you know, game the system or, you know, play the game of the system. Loan hack it. Yeah. Loan hack it. There we go. It's a loan hack. Um, The kid being the owner occupant gets you to that, obviously that higher loan to value, that minimum down payment. Like you were talking about, Steve, when you can do three and a half percent with an FHA owner occupied. But they have to be on the loan then. But they've got to be on the loan. Okay. Yep. 
Okay. We couldn't, we, if I recall, we couldn't get the first time buyer because it was my wife and I and our son. So he would, he may have been a first time buyer, but we couldn't access that program. What, what can kick you out of that is you could probably do the 3% down Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, first time home buyer. Mm-hmm. But if your income levels exceed the median income, then that'll knock you knock out, out potentially. Okay. And that will include mom and dad's. Yeah. When you're, especially income. when you're talking like home ready and home possible okay. programs. Those get sensitive to the income levels of of pushing you out of that. Okay, three percent down, but you can still do the five percent down, which is I think what you did. Yeah, with those. Yeah, we just did five percent down, which is still works out great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So so far, two big key steps: Uh, prepare the kid mentally, have the business Mm -hmm. plan discussions, and put some formality around it. And then the, I mean, as soon as possible, start making sure your kid is building credit either jointly or help them walk through to make sure yep. they get a, a secured credit card or starter card. Yeah. And I think that's just a, a great life. I mean, you're sending them to college and part of life as an adult is living with these credit scores and having an optimal credit score just benefits only different ways. Now, there's no way for either buying a home or getting credit score or credit card until you're 18 or older, right? Doesn't the kid have to be 18 or I guess an adult of that standpoint? I think so. 18 to like legally sign a contract? Yeah, I think that is the case. Okay. I don't, yeah, don't, I'm not. There may well be some crazy emancipated minor kind of thing, but yeah, I, that's probably. Can a 16 year old yeah. have use of a credit card? Can you give Justin them a credit Bieber, card? Justin Bieber might have been user. emancipated at 16 yeah. or something in one of these artists or something. Like that. Yeah. yeah. That's not, not normal. Okay. <clears> and then I want to give a little more context here because Steve, you, li- you live in Northern Colorado. Mm hmm. And I know you own quite a few new builds and some of the new build subdivisions up there. So going back to uh, the house you partnered on with your son, mm-hmm. uh, can I give high level like what part of Colorado it's in and just, you know, the property and start walking through the details? Yeah. So, you know, again, those are not just any house. We're trying to find ones that will make a good rental um, that you can live in for a year that it could be lightly used, that you can get roommates in, and it should have good appreciation over time. And the debt pay down are the two things that I kind of look at because it's always tough to calculate exactly what you're saving on your taxes and cash flow is gonna be a little bit negative for a while because you have PMI starting off. And so those things um, kind of factor into where the property's at. And we thought, well, for us, we like the new builds because there's very low um, maintenance on them for the first few years. You have a warranty in the first year, and then you have other structural warranties and furnace and HVAC mm-hmm. and other things that that continue on. So they're fairly low cost. That makes it easy for us to get in. Don't I'm not a very handy person. Not going to mm-hmm. ever be that. So I can go ahead and put some blinds, put in a Nest doorbell, a Nest thermostat, and it's got a little tech to it. They use it for a year and then somebody else gets a a great rental for years on out. I think that's the other piece um, that is very interesting is after the year um, when, you know, your child moves out, think about how the last year really impacted you. Like, do you remember where you're at for all these things? It goes by so fast. So if we can keep doing these and and my kids are in their early 20s, they're going to look back and go, kind of forgot about that, but I get a K-1 from, you know, this partnership each year. So I'm learning about taxes. I'm learning about investment. I'm learning about how budgets work. Um, every quarter I do the books and I send a balance sheet and a, and a P&L to them to say, here's your investment. 
And so those things, I think, add to what we're doing and picking the right house and the right neighborhoods and that. Can you be perfect all the time? No, but if you can optimize it, it sure as heck makes it you know better for them over the long run. So you bought uh the house with son in in windsor colorado right yep uh and it was just about it was about a year ago now at this point i was a little over a year ago over a year ago may may of 2022 okay and kind of you put down five percent five percent and then did that money come from you or your son yep from me came from From my wife and i okay yeah whenever i say me anybody it's my wife uh, no i I, the boss and you know (laughs) i just do what i'm told so i totally get it um yeah so so you you and your wife uh, you put down the five percent, all the closing costs. You did you basically bring all the cash to invest? brought it all. Okay, it all. and then son, you and wife mm-hmm. are all on, on the title. On title is this tenants and uh, tenants joint in common tenants. and joint tenancy. joint tenants. Now, in terms of loan hacking or just loan structuring, Troy, does it matter if it's a a, a tenants in common, a joint tenancy? Um, and can I walk us through what that looks like? Yeah. From our perspective, we don't care whether it's tenants in common or joint tenancy. That's going to be from the legal side and from estate planning side of everything. Um, And you can go into that. But, you know, joint tenancy real quick, right of survivorship, right? If if you if one goes, the other two get it, get it, automatically get it. Right. Last man standing kind (laughs) of thing. Um, All right, we can, let's have the Western shootout here to see what's going Right? Yeah, yeah. So don't. And if there's an extra person lurking around Halloween, uh, and it's him. I yeah. know that. Uh, yeah, I might right. Be giving up my share and pretty he's, soon, and he's feeding you some uh, interesting candies. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then uh, common is that each person gets their portion, right? So a little bit on the real estate side. So each of you are equally one third. If you did a common. Uh, but we, from a lending standpoint, we don't care. Okay, you don't care. It's now, just however you write the contract. Yep. And then, or if you post-close, you want to change the title, you could always do a title change. So investors, obviously, make sure you you know you, you Google that and talk with someone, help kind of figure out yep. the, the pros and cons because there, uh, there are some nuanced differences and they have the Absolutely. pros and cons for joint tenancy and tenants in common. Yeah. Um, and so you did joint tenancy? We ended up doing um, uh, joint tenancy. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and the reason we did it is we actually um, after the fact, so after he moved out, we moved the property into the name of an LLC, and then we did an operating agreement, and then it has splits for my wife and I and for my son, mm-hmm. and so those, you know, at least in my mind, supersede. They don't supersede, but they augment what we have already, so that it yep. overrides that um, that current ownership uh, that we have it in. So that would then now be owned by the LLC. So when we sell it in 10 years or roll it over to something else in 1031, that's the process. So I didn't worry as much about the um, joint tenancy because we were planning on taking this to a partnership. So that was the plan from day one is buy the property, live in it for a year, yep, move out or, or get roommates along the way, you know, defray the cost for that year, get it into a rental, put it into an LLC and do a partnership agreement with that child i i just i like the fact that you got everything written out and understood so that there's no misunderstanding because years will go by mm-hmm. and then you don't have any of the back and forth that it could occur where it's like well i thought it was supposed to be this way or i thought it was supposed to be that way you've got it spelled out so everybody's on the same page on board together so um, you want this to be a positive a lot of times parents will go into uh, different relationship agreements with their their kids with the best of intentions 
and then it's a nightmare. Yeah. And then Thanksgiving dinner doesn't taste the same yeah, yeah. when you all sit down together. When so, you have some of it on your face because somebody's angry and threw it. Right. So you don't want <laughs> that type of situation. I personal experience, my my mom and stepdad tried to do some things to help out family. Um, and it just came back to haunt them. And the best of intentions were out there to start off with, but it ended up being uh, a major family strife. So I really like, Steve, the fact that you've got things understood and agreed upon and in writing with your son so that you guys are all on the same page. And, you know, because it's a great thing for him to build wealth and and, uh, for his future. uh, So you don't want it to be a a problem. You don't want it to be the reverse. And we have we have a a fairly tight knit family that we all kind of get along, you know, we all, but that can fall apart, you know, because now that the situation is different, you know, if I go to do something different, say, uh, my other son and my daughter, you mm-hmm. know, are ready and they say, well, we'll do it together. Well, that is a different operating dynamic, a different structure, a different funding model. You know, maybe they just get one roommate. And so we've been thinking about that too, because it's, it's tricky out there right now. And so mm-hmm. trying to get something, you know, can we get something that has enough bedrooms, enough bathrooms that they can get roommates? And then it still is a good rental on mm-hmm. the other side. And can you, can you, um, kind of manage a little bit of the, um, the net negative cash flow for that? So with my son, this was truly turnkey. Yeah. You know, it's you move out. We did it to the letter of the law and regulations. And, you know, right now we were able to get the rent to cover all of the actual, payment the only thing it doesn't cover is the property manager mm-hmm. so roughly when the pmi ends we should have enough increase in rent that it will have positive cash flow but you know we bought a half million dollar business for twenty five thousand dollars yeah and you got to keep your estate planning in mind too and that's mm-hmm. part of what you're you've done with this between the operating agreement how you've titled the property um you want to leave the kids with something good and positive right from your estate standing uh standpoint state planning standpoint so i think that's awesome that's that's and there were some funny things along the way that you don't realize i mean having people sign you know through docusign other things getting them ready you know uh one of the things that um kind of got us in a a bit of a tizzy right towards the end right when we're getting ready to close is my wife and i went and celebrated our anniversary and we were over in europe and having a great time and running up credit cards and having all of that stuff well as soon as we get back the lender ran the credit check on our son, and I think we had twelve or thirteen thousand dollars worth on it. Well, a guy that's making you know sixty five seventy, that's a pretty big number, and it shows up on his. So it was like, oh my god, it, it tanked his credit score. So we mm-hmm. ran to the bank, and we pay off everything every month, paid it off, and we had to have them draft a letter that said, you know, there's zero you know balance on this credit card. And then they did something I had not really heard of rescoring. Yeah. So we handed him a letter and then they rescored it and then he was back up. Yeah. And part of that, uh, that actually brings up a good point that we can talk about real quick here is that when people do their initial application for a loan, there's there's a credit check done when you go into underwriting. There's a credit check done, but they, is that a hard one? Is that they have to when, do a hard when, one? When do they point. do the hard ones? I well, guess, when you go to twice? underwriting, they have to have a hard okay. credit pull at some point in time. We can soft check it on the front end, pre-approve you, run it through automated, do everything with a soft check, but there comes a point in time where a hard inquiry has to occur. But on top of that, and this might be what kind of caught you, is it's a requirement within the lending industry, they have to do another check on your credit prior to close to make sure you didn't slip 
yeah. something in there, like a, a new quick, car, quick, quick or, car payment or, or a trip to Europe, or you're, you're buying another house or something like that. And, and then all of a sudden you got this additional payment that's going to throw your ratios off, or in your case, you know, tank out the credit score. Uh, usually it's the kids that are killing the credit score, but the parents did it on this one. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the good news is you got it cleaned up quickly. And they had the ability to rescore it, which is which well. Is and awesome. it's 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 surprising how many little places there are to um, trip up. And I remember it going is. into I think it was Shields, and we were going to buy something, and they offer you a credit card, and you get a big discount on it, and that. And the first thing you do is, if you're in this business, is like, no, it's like you know the Antichrist. You can't do that because you know that will come back to bite you. But a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I, you know they they don't associate those two, and they mm-hmm. go, oh yeah. That'd be good because I get like 15% off. Well, they don't realize that that connected and dinged them and that window just has to be sacred, which yeah. I yeah. I didn't think my uh, trip and then paying right. it off the way at time when we ran that second hard pool, that, you know, it didn't cause any damage. It just caused a little panic. Now, I want to highlight something here. Like, this always brings up a great point to, like, why you want to have, like, a great lender uh, on your team. You know, someone like you, Troy, and, you know, at Nova Home Loans because... It's not just, hey, you're a lender, but you understand the nuances. 100%. And now while most lenders can do, you know, these types of conventional loans, uh, from my experience, a lot don't have the experience and the nuanced knowledge like you do for out there, like helping people navigate it. So quick shout out. If you guys need an amazing lender, talk to Troy. He has helped, I think, over 100 of our clients now and different podcast listeners. And I only have heard five star reviews back. Um so I want to loop back to something here because I know this will come up in the comments. I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, get my email template ready for this when these questions come in. You mentioned you put your property in LLC. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is one of the top questions we get uh, as real estate investors, um, as real estate professionals is, well, why can't I just buy the house in LLC from the get-go? Why is that, Troy? <laughs> because we're doing residential lending. So Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, VA, FHA, they are to individuals. As soon as you go into an LLC, now it's a commercial loan because you're lending to an entity, not to individuals. And so post-closing, you could change that title. And there's a lot of discussion. That's probably another uh, yeah. topic for another day about switching it to the LLC. But mm-hmm. generally speaking, it's it's definitely doable and uh advisable in a lot of respects from a house hacking standpoint to LLC it. But on the initial front end, you've got to go in as individuals. Yeah. And I mean, just, uh, you know, I, I've done that myself and just some, some general stuff is, uh, you know, that's something, uh, Troy, cover your ears uh, while yep. we talk about this, earmuffs, right? Earmuffs. Is <laughs> that something, hey, that is something you do post-closing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lender's not involved and, you know, that's something you'll do usually a couple months after closing to, to title it. And, Yes, there is a chance that it could, you know, cause the uh, due on sale clause. Well, I've I've um, read and, and seen some of the Fannie and Freddie yeah. guidance that that there's actually language out there now that says that they, so long as you're still accountable for the loan, they're not going to do a due on sale. I don't know. I, I've I've pulled that language from their websites and and have that. So that's where. But I waited a year. You know, I I, I did it above the board, and once yep. we did it, then I said okay. You know, you're doing this. And so we we turned it into um, a business. I guess there's a lot of people that say, you know, we don't really need that. You know, it's it's not necessary. We'll just run it and do it that way. And and that's fine. The first couple of years of, of rentals, we just had them in our own personal names. And and then and then we decided to kind of change that and, and, and structure it 
um, because I'm, you know, kind of to that that process. I want to teach my kids. I want to teach my kids how to run businesses and mm-hmm. and how that works. And when you're in corporate, you learn how to run different businesses inside a business, but you don't really realize how this stuff works. You know, a lot of people don't run into P and Ls and balance sheets and things like that in a corporate environment, unless they happen to be in finance or they might be managing a business right. unit, but a lot of people don't have that. So I wanted my kids to know that early on. So they go, okay, when I do this, that that makes us better or worse. And so they get that early on, not waiting and, and uh, finding that out the hard way later on. Sure. So you passed the one-year mark mm-hmm. with uh, partnering with your son. Is House Act number two partnership on the horizon? Well, he's thinking about moving over. Uh, he's he's got a good job, and 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 there's different places in the country that is. And now he's 25 and might think about moving. So that's that's an option for him. Um, right now is a good time to buy. And we're probably going to buy another property in the next four to four months or so. You and your wife going to yeah. buy a rental? Um, or we'll we'll move into a house right now. Oh, you're going to do no? Okay, yeah. Cool. So it's it's it, it will be something that could be a rental, but it might be a little bit higher because, um, you know. Right now, the the toughest things to sell are, you know, an existing property. People are struggling with those and something that needs fixing up. Well, guess what? My wife has always wanted to fix one up. So I'm like, well, we're in in this for a heck of a ride. Have at because she's the boss. And you know what? Her being the boss, I listen. So, um, man, buy that next two or three months. The stuff out there right now in the slow season is like, and you can get concessions. Oh, yeah. And help. Yeah, that's that's exactly what the spring springtime picks up. Yep. If you guys are willing to get a little fixer-upper. We've got a nice little trip in January that's going to take about three weeks. And so it's either going to be before or after that, trying to figure out that. But that's that's. Oh, uh, yeah, do it before for timing for that. Yeah, well, oh, yeah. maybe I go, you know what, we can we can figure that one out. Because right yeah. now is is the best time because stuff's, you know, it's it's aging on the market. And, and so if we could get our kids into one, because there's some. That if we had to go in and fix it up, that's so this okay. might this might be kids two or three, not yep. not I'm gonna just number them. So not not number one son, but two or three. Are they at a point where they might be ready for their first house act? Not quite, not quite. Okay. So my uh, our daughter is uh, finishing her last year of college, so she's not quite there. She's had good jobs in college, and and they compete with you know um, her schools. But we're like get that done first, then go on. And then our other son, he's just getting into his first job, so it's not quite there. But we're not many months off so it, it's still there'll still be some opportunities out there so oh i'm yep. i'm really curious because this um okay i'm gonna just kind of fast forward here so let's just say you go out there and, and partner with your kids you know with a couple more house hacks what type of i should say not what type is there any negative impact to steve and steve's wife's credit or to the kids because I remember running into situations talking with somewhere they had like some partnerships on loans, uh, and you, I think you kind of get the whole liability counted against you. Like if you and I own the house together, uh, mm-hmm. Troy and I, we each are totally liable for the for the loan. But if rent comes in, we only get to claim fifty percent of it. I remember there being some type of like potential for kind of getting your your income to debt or your mm-hmm. debt to income ratio out of whack that way. Uh, and if you like, is that true? And maybe do a better job of articulating the situation yeah. than what I did. There, there's definitely aspects to that that you're hitting on. Um, I think the the number one thing is if it's rented out, like your son moves on, he goes to buy something else in another state, and uh, you have the house that he's on title to and on the loan with. 
rent it out than than from a lending perspective on his number two house that he would be purchasing uh, with you or without you, um, that payment would be offset. So it's like a house hacker buying house number two or three or four in his portfolio. We look at the existing homes, make sure that there's offsetting factors, calculations are done to mitigate that. Now, the other angle on that as well, and this applies to other debts that are co-signed like on a car loan or anything, if you can document a 12-month history of that person having made the payment, then you can wash that off against the debt-to-income ratio. So I co-signed for my kid. Yeah, I co-signed for my kid to buy a car. Not that I would Mm -hmm. want them to do a car loan. Because right. we're we're buying houses, not cars. Right, right. Um, and I co-signed with him, which I wouldn't do, but if say you did, and he made the payments from his account for 12 months, and I go out to buy a house. Now, even though I'm showing up on that loan and it's showing up as a liability, if I need it to help my debt-to-income ratio, I can get 12 months worth of history showing him making the payment mm-hmm. from his account, and then therefore I don't have to count it against me. So same thing would apply for a house. And I've had uh, parents do that with kids and they never rented the house, but because the kid was making the payments from their own personal account. Now, if it's a joint account, it screws things up. Okay. Mom and dad are on an account with their, their son. Like my checking account. Yeah. Like your okay. checking account and all the payments are pulling from that checking account. The, from a lending perspective, we can't differentiate whose money's in there. Uh, you may try to document and show it, but if it's just the kid's checking account only in his name, and he's been making all the payments on the co-signed loan from that account, we can get 12 months history. I don't have to have a rental agreement, but now I don't have to count that right. debt against the parents when they go to buy their next house. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause that is different from my understanding from a couple of years when I was going through some, some situations talking to people. Okay. So if the part of the party is, is they've had 12 months of document history paying from their own personal, personal account. account. Um, and after a year, then that monthly payment won't go against the other party. Correct. On there as her, oh, yep. okay. Yep. On the cosine loan, so car this, loan, house loan, things of that nature. So this is a this is a golden nugget here. So okay, for people that do that, they should be thinking about from mortgage payment one. Mm-hmm. Where's that money coming from? Because right. that will have a big ripple effect for everyone. Yep. On everything down the road. What do you guys? Do you guys have a joint account, Steve? Or I say no. I say joint by no, uh, but the parents and the son. No, we don't. But what I did do is because we at times struggled and and didn't have that third roommate so we would augment and split half of what he was short so mm-hmm. like that third roommate and so that's where it would have probably caused the problem because then if we write a check for uh, a few hundred dollars and and then yep. he has to put his in that that goes back to that same thing kind of mingled money so would that cause money. that yeah it, it would cause a problem from an underwriting standpoint but if if you have a full rental agreement when he departs that his, his, then it's, it's a different. His, departure yeah. residence right then but, we're or give, or give cash to your son for those couple well, of months right but airbus troy yeah uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. What, I, what i understood from that and maybe you can validate it is if we'd have just said okay uh say for instance he couldn't get it for a whole year and we're going to do um you know 400 bucks a month that you help uh do that so that'd be 4800 dollars. if you gave a 4800 dollars gift to him mm-hmm. and then he paid it the whole way that wouldn't necessarily be the same thing yeah, but I, I mean, mean, I know you'd have to go to somebody that underwrites, but that's that's what I heard. Yeah, it's if you're always doing it every month. It's worse than just saying, "Here's a." I think there's a good probability that that would work. You okay. know, it's it's always uh, the devil's in the details, and the details are in the documents. So yeah. you know, looking. At the that's why I love this stuff because it's it's how creative can you be that 
it's like playing Monopoly. And no oh, it's a game. Absolutely. Oh, 100%. Anybody else. And so it's like, hey, there's a way to get this done. You know, it's, and, and those little those little things that can trip you up so quick, like you just said about going on your vacation, yeah. running up the credit card and little known to yourself. Little did you know that that was going to be a heartache or a little right. extra work that wasn't necessary. Well, and it, there's it, enough going on as there was. Isn't it also true that, that um, for the first year, so we have a, a, a rental agreement in place with the renters today. Mm -hmm. And so and so if we were to, you know, now till the end of the year, have that rental agreement, that would be our, our proof of funds or proof of income for the rental. After that, it goes to the stated um, tax return for schedule e tax returns, what we run the right. calculations off of. So those are slightly two different things, but they can be and, and they're looked at together or separate 75% of that, right? That's not 25% discount. The schedule is a straight up Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac calculation that's that's ran okay. to determine what that property is doing, whether it's going to uh, be a plus or it's going to weigh on your debt to income ratio. Right. Um, and then if, it, if we're working straight off of any lease type situation, then it's going to be 75% of the, the face amount. So a okay. $2,000 lease is 1500 bucks in our world. Right. If right. the payment's two grand, then that's a $500 hit towards your, your debt to income ratio. Right. And the underwriting on that, that 25% discount, that's to kind of assume for operating expenses yep. on the property, it's, right? It's, it's yeah. a very simple rule of thumb to say 25% right. will cover yeah, it's a very expenses. conservative okay. way that underwriting in the lending world looks at it to uh, account for vacancy factor, operating income, okay, uh, expenses, that kind of thing. What other like the uh, I'm I'm so intrigued by that the 12 month thing. What other yeah. like golden nuggets or tips do you have for like me, Steve, and mm. other Gosh, listeners? I'm trying to think, you're putting me it's in not the win spot. the lottery. It's uh, um, yeah. Uh, no, don't rob a bank yeah, to get money. Bank. That's a, um, that's a good no tip. fraud, no making up your own stuff. That's not good. Well, let's talk about this. Um, I mean, this you, you talk about about fraud and this. You know, I I I see this discussion on like bigger pockets forums mm -hmm, and just mm -hmm. around. You know, hey, we could go out there and either with an adult child or someone else. Oh, let's just say we're gonna live in that house so we can do a five percent down, but not but not actually live in there. Yeah, that's uh, that is mortgage fraud, right? That that is technically and, mortgage fraud. That yeah. that's something. That's probably one of the biggest frauds that occurs because the terms for financing are so much more uh, attractive for an owner-occupied deal, whether you're putting 5% down, 20% down, or whatever you're putting down. But owner-occupancy financing is is more generous with the ratios. They're more generous with- You get a little better rate. The rate, for mm -hmm. sure, is significantly better. So that's probably the number one uh, fraud. What is the penalty? Like how, I guess- They'll call, the loan, they'll call the loan due. There's the due they'll on call. sale. Yeah, I'm going to say so. That's just so, due. so a, a quick nugget, you know, bad experience that I had years and years ago. I think it was around 2002. I had a gal buy a place and she was going to own or occupy it. She was fine. She was all game for uh, living in the property. She understood that. She still had her existing property, uh, but she was going to live in this property. And long story short, they do check a percentage of loans for occupancy they'll do whatever and they'll even go so far as to knock on the door i feel somebody some, they'll send somebody out and if they're not there they'll investigate it further and she was making her payments on time everything was going great from a loan standpoint she qualified fine she was making her payments fine but because she wasn't occupying as her primary residence they called the loan due and do you have 60 and she had don't you off. have 60 days to 
isn't it some to uh, occupy from days? close so if yeah. you close on the first of the month yeah and and you so you could your actually intent take... is to occupy within 60 days okay. is the general rule of thumb. and then so, and then what sorry what are the other th there's a couple other things that i remember hearing is that if you um you know move more than 100 miles away so if you get a job or if you that's deploy, an fha 100 mile rule so that's an FHA that's not unconventional nuance, not unconventional so if somebody you know takes out a loan on january 1 and then you know may they get sent a job change and they move to that there's place. a provision that there's allowances to uh forego the 100 mile rule with fha but there there's strict rules on what is allowable okay so it'd be like military deployment or yeah some other things job like transfer job or something transfer. that was a bit beyond your control there there's definitely some details that allow for that so you couldn't buy a place in Fort Collins and then six months later, you know, but it's only with, down to Colorado. Springs we're only talking FHA. So, so, so conventional, there's not. So that's conventional. There's not. Okay. I had not heard that it was only that I haven't tried. Only it, so FHA. I, we, in fact, I've got something? one closing today, uh, that is an FHA purchase less than a hundred miles. So okay. there, and there wasn't a significant event, but without going into the big details of that particular transaction, uh, it was able to work because of his situation. He was doing a, He's doing a house hack. It's working out awesome for him, but he had rental income that showed up on his Schedule E for 2022 for his current primary, because he's doing rent by the room. Oh. And that allowed him to do house hack number two with an FHA loan. And we did not have to deal with the 100 mile rule uh, because he had rental income on the departure residence. So, so tell me about one one more thing. Sorry, Chris. Uh, very, very much a nuance but there though. As, as a house hacker, um, there's an option of either, um, getting your roommates to pay you rent and you just run it like you're, yep. it doesn't exist. Or should you be thinking about running that as, you know, claiming that income to be able to help justify getting into the next place? If, if you don't show it, we don't, won't acknowledge it. Doesn't it. Exist. If it's it not doesn't paper, exist. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a lot of client. I, I mean, I had a, a guy that was a valet that this is on the income side. He was making great money as a valet didn't declare any of it. It's all cash, right? It was a lot of cash. And it's like, we can only go based on what we can document. So it's either through the, the tax returns or through your W-2s pay stubs. I, I learned that lesson in my in my young early days of being an entrepreneur is I, I, uh, I uh, had a very, very low tax liability, which was awesome in the years. Yep. I didn't, uh, you know, the way I, I didn't report all the income, I guess. Um, and I went to go get something. I was like, oh, you make no income. I was like, well, I do. Like, well, no loan. I was like, oh, Damn, that was one of my like, yeah, like learning experiences. Yeah, exactly what you said. But to I, tie real quick, just yeah, yeah. to tie out, Steve, to what you were saying on the rental side, you've got to document and show it as well. Okay. So if we don't, if you have undocumented, undocumented rental income and we're not going to see it, then we're not going to be able to give you credit for it. So again, it's a double edged sword from a house hacking standpoint. You you want to deduct and write off as much as you, you know, legally can. That's what I within did. Within the tax code. But conversely, it's going to hurt you a bit when you come to get your financing because we're going to build based off that. It's like you've talked about with the business. Right. Somebody may say, hey, I've, I've got a $100,000 business here. and But what they don't say is $50,000 worth of expenses. From our world, lending world, you only make 50 grand. It's your taxable income okay. that comes into play. Now, with rental properties, Schedule E, we add back in depreciation. We give you some credits back. We don't totally hit you for it from an right. underwriting perspective. But you got to keep that stuff in mind. So, uh, there's, there's the, there's reality. And then there's the world of underwriting and how they look at things. So understanding that game, like we were talking about earlier, the credit score game, but understanding the lending aspects yeah. of what 
these things can do to you and the nuances to it, where hopefully I can help you with some of that stuff can yeah, make a big difference to what, what the next house. I learned new stuff like. today and I just went through it, but it was just my flavor of that one. And that's where I yes. think it's, you know, Chris, you have such a large audience here. You have, you know, people that are my age and older, and you have people that are in their, you know, twenties and thirties trying to figure it out. And whichever one of those groups is trying to figure it out, now they may have another tool in their arsenal to say, okay, I may not have all of what I need, or I'm on that side where, you know, I've got a little bit of extra to be able to help my kids get to that next spot. So one of the two can reach out to the other. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, if you want to reach out to us and we can help you learn that, but that's where, you know, those two can work together. And a lot of times Mm -hmm. we don't think about that because we're just in our own little universe, but you know, our family can be a great source of support and collaboration to, to, to build wealth as well. It doesn't just, it's just not a single, you know, person. It's, you know, there's a team out there to help. That's, that's the Envision Advisor team, right? It's, it's a group and a community, a family Mm -hmm. of folks that Chris, you've built out over the years that provides all that help and support and all that information and knowledge. And so many of the house hackers come in and you know, partake of that. And you have so many tools that you can give them to educate them for them to have a good experience because there's so many different ways of going about it, but there's also so many different uh, pieces of information that are, that's out there that may not show the whole story. But here in Colorado, we've got a great Envision advisor team that can really support and help people wherever they're at, whether it's the first house they're doing, or if it's the ninth, 10th house they're doing. Well, thank, it, thank you for that compliment. Well, it's, I mean, it's, questions it's, out there, it's, Steve and I are It's the case, but that. it's truly the case. Yeah. One thing, I, the way you were saying, you know, hey, the kids can go to parents or you look at that, like, you know, in real estate, uh, OPM, other people's money mm-hmm. is a phrase used a lot. And I see people do that. And it took me a while to like, you know, realize that situations where, you know, uh, kids and uh, parents uh, partner together, it's basically OPM. It's mm-hmm. the same thing. It's another creative way to come up with, uh, sure. with money. And the cool thing about house hacking, you know, we, there, you can do like with parents, we've had quite a few clients that have, you know, it's been two young guys. Um, you know, they've basically been business partners where, Hey, one may have the down payment money, one doesn't, but they can partner it together on there. So there's some very creative ways. And also OPM use other people's money to go out there and, get some money, but also get a highly leveraged uh, deal to go out there and, and put together a great deal with a low down payment. Yeah. Well, and that's where a lot of, I mean, we see some of these young people that are, you know, fascinated and can see the value in real estate and building wealth through it. They go out and create a business plan and, and pitch it to family and friends to get their first, you know, kind of syndication if they want to buy a fourplex or that. This isn't really any different, but this is like, how do I put together a, a proposal to my family to get my first house hack? Because yeah. that might be their first step in. And if you do them in this way, you'll accelerate your ability to get in it. Because if it takes you a long time to get 25000 that time lost by waiting to get that 25000 or 30000 to get into a place is um, loss of debt pay down, loss of appreciation, loss of tax benefits. If somebody has that, is willing to partner with you in the family, you know, it could be an uncle, it could be those, because that's going to make a huge difference and you'll learn how to run a business doing it. Do I like doing QuickBooks and some of that stuff? Not particularly, Mm -hmm. but you know what? It takes me just a couple hours, once a quarter, you know, I save off the PDF and send it out. Well, my son is going to learn that stuff because he's out running his business. What's what he does. 
So each kid's going to do that. So there's a lot of parents and family and ch- and children out there that can find a way to work together that you know won't cause it to be a problem down the road. Spelling it out all out mm-hmm. up front so that they don't have that confusion. I think that's a really important. So if thing. you're your son's a finance major, right? Marketing and finance. Marketing and finance. Shouldn't you give him the privilege of learning experience to do the books himself? <laughs> I um, probably should. <laughs> the privilege. I love it. Hey, I mean, that's I, I've done I books might. and I hate it. And a couple of years ago, I got I got a bookkeeper. Yeah. Uh, man, like, well, it's not a lot of time. It was a huge mental relief. Hey, it saved me like two units of time, but it saved me 20 units of, of mental bandwidth, <laughs> which is just I I, I can sure. do them, but I hate doing books. But that's yeah. part right. of well, like, well. Don't you have a bookkeeper there you could use? You know what? I, I, over time, I, I'd like to see my kids learn how to do that. I, my wife, too, because you know what? Uh, I've learned in the last couple of years that when you get to this age, you lose friends and family and things like yeah. that. You know what? If if you had to set, if you got set aside tomorrow, could your family run without you? Yeah. Like what would happen? And that's where estate planning and that stuff, not to go to like a tougher side, but can they run the things? Do they know where all the stuff is at? Because if you've got your regular investments, your 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 maybe syndications, maybe rental properties, that stuff can't stop. It's a it's a running machine, and so somebody has to keep that going. So yeah. that's that's really important for families to kind of know that and have that as well. So not only teaching your twenty five year old or or whoever in the family, but but having those in that kind of so your spouse. Process. Yep, yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. Awesome. Um, guys, as we wrap up here, I got through all the questions I want to ask. Uh, any other final like thoughts, golden nuggets that we want to touch on before we wrap up here? I've got a quick one, if I may. You may. I may. So tying in to what you've been talking about, Steve, with the family and friends and, and uh, doing some of the house hacks with the kids, I, I think of some clients, they're great Envision Advisor house hackers that we've been working with over the years. They actually, and this can be another topic for another day, but they actually went out and bought houses for their parents mm, with yes. 5% down, minimum down, and it's totally allowable and works great. And they, the parent lived in the house as long as they can, and then eventually that turns into a house hack for them uh, down the road. One of, one of the properties uh, is now a rental property, and they did it with 5%. They, they literally, like you were talking about buying two houses, they bought two houses with 5% down within a week of each other, they closed. And we underwrote, approved, and did them simultaneously and did the two loans. Uh, one was for the parent and then one was for themselves personally. Um, and uh, so there's some opportunity there with with parents. So it's sure. kids, but with the parents as well. And the parents don't necessarily have to uh, really be great on the qualifying side as long as they've got the good credit scores and what not to work with that's a great point it doesn't have to work just one way yeah Yeah. there's multiple Uh, ways adult children's helping helping the parents in that last phase and i i I, I, yeah there's a few clients who have like that they're really cool stories yeah where you know hey uh, you know they you know it's a win for they grew up and the the kids have you know had successful careers and i can help their families and help their parents as yeah so keep that in mind i love that so much yeah cool uh Steve, Troy, thank you guys, listeners out there. Uh, if you guys have any questions, you know, Steve is an active investor. He lives in Northern Colorado. He's done some creative deals. As you've heard, connect with Steve. If you need help with lending, or actually if you're you're looking at it like a six months or you're in advance, I would highly recommend you talk with Troy regardless of how you're buying now or buying the future. Mm-hmm. Troy has done our clients right. Um, so thank you guys so much. 
there's any questions, reach out to us and we'll be doing some more uh, podcasts along Creative Ways to Halsack. Thank you guys. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you.